are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, we're told, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written in the Old Testament, and also here in the New Testament, verse 17, the just live by faith. Now you find that statement, first of all, recorded in the Bible, but it's repeated in the New Testament as well. The just shall live by faith. And it's always been that men, men are justified not by the deeds of the law, nor by their good works, but by the law of faith, Romans 3 and verse number 27. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed. If you're wondering how to have the righteousness of God imputed to you, it's by faith. If then the crucified Savior, you see, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in righteousness. Now that's a very strange terminology, strange uh, statement in verse 18. A men, unrighteous men, they are unsaved men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And we have people in all generations that fit into that category. They're not in, nor are they out. They are religious, but they're lost. Uh, they are ungodly men, but they deal uh, with godly things. And they hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. They don't believe it, and they hinder other people from believing it. Some of them make fun of it and scoff at it and mock at it and uh, pick it to pieces and insinuate that it's not really the Word of God. They claim that it only contains the Word of God, maybe, and they deny the Scriptures. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, you'd never be uh, wise to trust an unsaved man with the Word of God. If a man's not saved, then naturally he's disqualified to handle the Holy Scriptures. Spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. And the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness unto him. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, which is to say that the spiritual man can understand and does understand to a degree, but the natural man, matters not how wise he may be, cannot under understand the things of the Spirit of God. Now in verses 21, 22, and 23, we have a sevenfold retrogression that I want to point out to you today, a sevenfold departing from the faith once delivered unto the saints. Now, so far as I'm concerned, when Paul and Matthew and John and James lived, the apostles, and they wrote the New Testament, uh, they believed, they were uh, fundamentalists, we'd say in our day. Uh, they believed the Bible, they wrote the, the Scriptures, they believed the Old Testament prophets. Uh, not a single one of them would even remotely suggest that the Old Testament prophets were not indeed the complete Word of God. They believed. But soon after the church is uh, initiated and organized and, and uh, launched out, uh, you find those that begin to depart from the faith 
and give heed to seducing spirits. You remember Paul gave us a solemn warning about those in Galatians. If any man bring any other gospel unto you other than that which I have delivered, let him become cursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be cut off and go to hell. That's strong terminology, but that's what Paul's saying. And I'm simply quoting in Galatians. And that's the way it is. Paul had no patience with a man who would deny the Scriptures. Now, evidently, he'd run across some like that. Well, he did cross the Judaizers from Jerusalem who came up to Galatia and began to teach the Galatian believers, Gentile converts they were, that they had to be circumcised and become a Jew in order to be saved. And uh, they were not really saved or completely saved until they were circumcised like the Jews. And you remember when Paul discovered that heresy, and that is a heresy, no doubt about that. But when Paul discovered that his converts were being exposed to that kind of heresy, that's when he says, let them be anathema, let them be cut off. They're teaching a false doctrine. And so early in the days of the apostles, there were perverters of the truth. There were those who denied the faith. You know, the church in the early days, uh, if ever in any generation, had a good opportunity to be pure, uh, they had that golden opportunity to be pure. But whether you're aware of it or not, and I think most of you are, even in the early days of the church, uh, liberalism begins to appear. Modernism begins, we call it modernism in our day, but actually it's the denial of the truth began to appear. And uh, by the time you get down to 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea, uh, they've gotten so far away from apostolic doctrine until the Roman church is now set up as an official hierarchy with all of its traditions, with all of its paganism, with all of its perverted ideas, born soon after the days of the apostles. And so when you get down to 325 A.D., which is relatively close to the age of the apostles, you have uh, uh, perversions becoming strong and perversions becoming uh, crystallized and, and organized with the uh, council of, uh, at Nicaea. And so it is. And then soon after that, you've got some other uh, evidences of a departure from the faith. Now, sometimes we'll think about departing from the faith as being something relegated entirely to the 20th century. But that's not the case. According to these verses I'm about to read to you, it's been a problem with the church right from the day of the Apostle Paul, and increasingly becomes a problem with the church as the years go by, and still is a problem that we face in our day. Those that depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. One of the first apostate schools, or modernistic schools, or uh, we call it nowadays, that was founded is the Alexandria School uh, in Alexander, Egypt, under uh, Oregon. Uh, this, this school uh, originated a great deal of forms of godliness and ceremonies and rituals that uh, now plague uh, many churches down to our day. It came from that school and and some of the false perverted ideas as infant baptism was propagated by the Alexandria School in Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, was noted until our day as a school perverted the Holy Scriptures. Soon after, in the fourth century, after the apostles, uh, the, these things come on the scene, and they are true right down to our day. And I'm saying to you that uh, the African continent, uh, a pagan continent we look at in our day, and we send missionaries to Africa, even to Egypt in our day, and uh, to all the other African nations in our day, 
But they had a chance to honor the truth and believe the truth and champion the truth and proclaim the truth a long time before we did. They had the gospel preached to them early after the days of the apostles and, uh, and, and turned deliberately from it. Uh, premeditated, they turned from it and corrupted and perverted the truth of God. And that corruption and perversion has continued on right down until this day in which you and I live. We have to deal with it. And no need for us to sweep it under the rug and to imagine that everybody that says, Lord, Lord, are fundamental believers like we are at Tabernacle. That's not the case. Now, would to God it was the case, but it's not the case. You not have to leave where we are now far in any direction to find somebody that doesn't believe the Bible like you and I believe it. Yet they hold on to the term Christian. They say we're Christians, but they don't believe the Bible. They deny the Scriptures. Now, you and I are to have no part with that kind of thing. Now, here is this retrogression that I wanted to point out to you in verse number 21. Uh, Paul said, because that when they knew God, which is to say there was a time when the Romans knew God. There was a time when the Africans knew God. I mean, the God of Abraham. There was a time when the Galatians knew God. There was a time when the believers in Jerusalem knew God. One of the saddest spectacles I think I've ever found and ever faced in my life is the city of Jerusalem. As we preached the gospel in our land and studied the Bible in our land, in our mind, we envisioned Jerusalem as something of a Mecca, something of a paradise. And we say, surely in Jerusalem there are strong churches that hold high of the crucified Savior. But when you go to Jerusalem, you don't find them. The truth is, they're not there. And that'll break your heart, and that'll shake you and disturb you when you discover that there are no, there are no strong, fundamental gospel churches in the city of Jerusalem where it all began. Isn't that a sad commentary? It didn't begin in Greenville. Now, we've carried it forth the best of our ability down through the years, but it didn't begin here. It didn't begin in England. It didn't begin in Italy either. But it all began in Jerusalem, and yet today they have so departed from until you'd have to comb the city of Jerusalem with a fine comb today to find a fundamental Bible believer that believes the Bible like we believe the Bible. And that's a sad thing, but it's so. There's not one strong Baptist church in Jerusalem, not a one. Or one or two little uh, storefront churches that endow with 45 people, and they're not Jews, they are uh, Assyrians. In that uh, and uh, Lebanese, in that little storefront situation, I don't know of any strong church in Jerusalem that has Jews members. That is Baptist churches, not there. Now there is a progression, no doubt about that. Now you'd never get me to believe that the church, uh, the uh, in Jerusalem as we know it today, uh, is the same church that Peter, James, and John were part of, and that our Lord founded. I'd never believe that. I'd never believe that. The doctrine is too much different from what we have in our Bibles to ever believe that. I've said that. Uh, the, uh, the religion of Jerusalem is a pagan, formal, ritualistic, ceremony, form of godliness that denies the power thereof. And there is no fundamental gospel preaching that I know of going on in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I said that to say they had an opportunity, a great opportunity. Uh, to defend the faith and become a great citadel for faith, as did Africa, as did uh, uh, other nations in those early days. Rome, uh, to whom this epistle is addressed, had the same opportunity. 
but they have retrogressed. They've gotten away uh, from that. I read in the uh, Baptist history uh, textbook that there was as many as 54 congregations of born-again baptized believers in the city of Jerusalem when Paul arrived finally to the city. There were 54 congregations of born-again baptized believers who believe the gospel like me and you. But you could comb the city of Rome today, uh, here in this 20th century, with a fine comb, and not find 54 churches today that believe the gospel like we believe it in the city of Rome. There is a retrogression. You could not deny that. And we find that set forth, the pattern of it, the reason of it, the result of it, in these verses. Because that when they knew God, there was a time when they knew God. There was a time when they knew the fundamentals of the faith. There was a time when they were champions of the faith. These, the church in Rome, to whom Paul writes this particular epistle. The churches down in Africa that later gave birth to the Alexander school. There was a time when they knew God. Uh, the churches in Jerusalem, there was a time when they knew God. And that's a sad thing when people who know God go backwards instead of forward as far as grace and faith and the truth is concerned. And God forbid that we would ever have any part in anything similar to verses 21 and following. Because that when they knew God, number one, the first step of retrogression, they glorified Him not as God. Now, that's a very strange thing, that that would be the first thing uh, that, that's mentioned in these, in these seven things set forth in these verses. When they knew God, now they knew God. I don't think Paul would have written that down had they not known God. Because he said when they did know God, and that tells me clearly that there were born believers in the assembly at Rome who knew God, there were born-again believers in the assemblies and the congregations in Alexander, Egypt, that one time knew God. There were born-again individuals in the first church of Jerusalem that knew God. We wouldn't deny that. And Paul sets that point, uh, in implication at least, in the first clause of verse 21. When they knew God, as we and I know God, in faith and in the Scriptures, we know God. At Tabernacle, we know God. We know the personality of God. We know the nature of God. Uh, we know the attributes of God. We know something of the power of God. We know something of the provision of God. We know something of the program of God. We know something of the doctrines of God. We're not, we're not an ignorant people of tabernacle. Not by any means. Now that's not to uh, glory in any worldly achievement or any worldly wisdom. I'd like to be the first one to admit that if I have it in knowledge, the Lord has given it to me. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't classify myself as a wise man, but I know God. God's no stranger to me. And the nature and personality of God and the power of God, the attributes of God are not strange to me in the least. The doctrines of God are not strange to me in the least. I know God, and you know God. And, and a howling prophet we won't hear. And the reason you will not hear a howling prophet is because you know God. We know the voice of the true shepherd. And we sold that voice that when the howling prophet comes on the scene, we recognize him immediately. And identify him as such immediately. We know God. Now, in the old day, there were congregations that knew God, says Paul, but they retrogressed. And they began this route of retrogression. Number one, 
in that they glorified Him not as God. Now that may sound like a very uh, innocent thing for a person to be guilty of, but I should know that this heads the list of these seven steps in retrogression. They failed to glorify God as God. Now he knew that a fundamentalist ought not to be fundamentalist simply in the letter of the Word, but we ought to glorify God that we know one way or another. We ought to glorify God. And there is no excuse for us simply being a fundamentalist without having some element of glory and praise and thanksgiving and worship in our heart to God. In fact, don't come to me and tell me that you love the Lord and you never worship. Don't tell me you love God and you never express any emotion. Don't tell me you love God and you're never glad in your heart. Don't tell me you love God and you never launch out among the promises of the Lord and rest upon the promises of the Lord. Don't tell me you know God and you never praise His holy name. These folk knew God, but they failed to glorify God as God. Now what we fundamentalists need to do is not only champion our fundamentalist position, but while we're standing for the faith, we ought to praise God for His grace. And a dry, heartless, unemotional fundamentalism, as far as I'm concerned, is not fundamentalism at all, but a retrogression. That's exactly what these folks were guilty of, and that's the first step away from God in this retrogression. A, a simple, seemingly innocent thing. They failed to glorify God as God. I think a fundamental Baptist preacher, preaching on the doctrine of the virgin birth, preaching on the doctrine of the resurrection, preaching on the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, preaching on the doctrine of the resurrection of the righteous, at the second coming, preaching on the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord, or to get excited about it. That's what I'm trying to say. Or to get excited about it. I wouldn't go around the corner to hear a fundamentalist preach on the second coming if he couldn't get excited. And that, that's the whole matter of retrogression. It starts with a, a, an innocent, seemingly an innocent attitude. Just failing to glorify God as God. Now, I believe God's great. All fundamentalists do. I believe that besides Him, there's no other. All fundamentalists do. I believe that He can do anything. He can answer our prayers. With Him, there is nothing impossible. All fundamentalists believe that. When I begin to think about that, preach about that, I want to say hallelujah. I want to say bless His holy name. He's greater than the pagan God's glory. Be God forever. Those things come into my soul. I get stirred up. And I think you ought to get stirred up. And the first step away from God, even fundamentalists are apt to commit, is failing to glorify God as God. You know, I was read up in a rather tight-laced church in a way, and every Sunday morning we got the doxology. I mean, we started off with the doxology. And uh, then I, I didn't know what the doxology was. It was just a big word that I heard my pastor say. 
saw it written in the hymn book, but I didn't know what it was. And I think a lot of Baptists to this day don't know what it is. And we stood up and sang uh, the doxology every morning as dead as four o'clock. I, I promised myself when I got out the pastor that you know more doxologists. I didn't know what it was. You know, I, I, I don't, really didn't understand what doxology was. But it was so dead the way I heard it and read up on it. So I didn't want the more of it when I got out and pastored. So we don't have the doxology at Tabernacle. But actually, the doxology is a good thing. The word doxology means glory to God. And nobody will ever sing the doxology except somebody say, Hallelujah, we serve a great God. That's what the word doxology means. But we sing it in these days with no emotion in our heart, no joy soul, no enthusiasm in our act. It's dead as it can be. That's retrogression. When they knew God, they didn't glorify God as God. Now, if you know God in the true sense of the word, you ought to glorify God. Now, you decide which way you want to glorify God. Far as I'm concerned, you can glorify God by clapping your hands. You can glorify God by saying amen. You can glorify God by saying hallelujah. Far as I'm concerned. Or you can glorify God by a tear running down your face. That's all right. Or you can glorify God by, by a good song. As we sung a moment ago, you can stand up. And to the best of your ability, join in singing that song to give glory to God. But in some way, we fundamentalists must glorify God as God. And I'm convinced if God is real, and He ought to be real to every believer, then you ought to give God the glory that He is real. He walks with you. He talks with you. Amen. He tells me that I'm His own. He consoles me, He comforts me, He guides me, He sustains me, He gives me the wisdom I need, the grace I need. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. Well, glorify God as God. And not to do that is to retrogress. Now let's look at the second one. Because of the new God, first they glorified Him not as God, second, neither were they thankful? Now that's absolutely inexcusable. Of all the people in the world that ought to be a thankful people, it's followed by the believers who know God. When you know that your health is from the Lord, when you know that your salvation is from the Lord, when you know that the food you eat off the table is from the Lord, when you know that breath that you breathe is from the Lord. And everything we have is from the Lord. We know that. The most thankful people in the world ought to be fundamental Bible believers who know God. Neither were thankful. After a moment, when I finish preaching, you'll be going and you'll sit around the table and enjoy that good food. Don't you dare Except you bow your head and say, Lord God, I want to thank you for this thing. Don't you dare. And don't you dare live through this day except you find your secret place of prayer. And close that door and get up on your knees and say, thank you, Lord. 
We have so much to thank God for. The last of you have so much to thank God for. It's not so hard with you, but that if you look about you, you'll end a multitude of things that you can say, Bless your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've given me this, you've given me the other. Just want to say thank you. I'm not asking you for anything. Just want to say thank you. Now, we don't want to be guilty of that. But these that retrogressed in Romans 1 uh, were not thankful. They consumed the blessings of God as if God owed them that. And they were not mindful enough to lift up their eyes to God in praise and thanksgiving for the many blessings He poured upon our lives. And we don't want to be guilty of that. But these that, that Paul writes about in the Romans chapter 1 were guilty. They were just not thankful. They consumed the blessings but failed to give God praise. And that could be the reason of the situation in Jerusalem today. That could be the reason, one of them at least, for the situation in Rome today. And that could be the reason, one of them, for the situation in Egypt today, in Africa. When they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God. Neither were they thankful. And now they're desolate and barren. And the same thing could well happen to any other people who retrogress to this degree. There were three in verse 21 but became vain in their imaginations. Now take that to be uh, religious imaginations. These are religious people that we're reading about. Not necessarily worldly people, but I think they're religious people. They are people that Paul says who knew God one time. Their company, their, their generation, their associates knew God. I'm not saying every one of them knew God. But the congregation knew God. And now the comment, but they became vain in their imaginations, their religious imaginations, ran wild. Uh, they were not willing to take, I take this to mean, of thus saith the Lord for the matter of doctrine or the matter of commission. But they set up their own doctrines. They deceived, uh, they conceived for themselves their own uh, commission. And they used their own imagination as to what God willed and purposed in their lives and what they are to believe and to champion. They departed from the clear, thus saith the Lord, and set up their own vain imaginations. Now that's a, that's a retrogression. You know, one characteristic of fundamentalist uh, is that we take the Bible literally. When Jesus said, go into all the world, we don't argue, we go. When Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, we don't argue, we do that. When, when Jesus says, come together and congregate, we don't argue, we come together. When the Bible says, bring the tithe, we don't argue, we bring the tithe. That's fundamental, you see. But those that have their own vain imaginations work out different ways and different methods. And they leave the ancient landmarks and set up panaceas that are not true to the Bible. I would take that in that third place to mean exactly that. These that knew God laid aside the clear commands of God and set up their own imaginations, their own experiences, their own desires, and followed that. Look at it again and became vain in their imaginations. I was watching 
uh, one of the TV programs, one of the charismatic programs. And uh, somebody was telling about the experience. And I never heard such a far out experience in my born days. Some kind of a dream or vision or something they'd had. And they were relating that. And the man in charge of the program was saying, Amen, isn't that wonderful? Amen, isn't that wonderful? And in my soul I said, a bunch of junk. You better measure your experiences by the Word of God. Your vain imaginations are not sufficient. And that could be fatal to a fundamental group that will allow any experience or any vision to find an equal with the Word of God. Let every man be a liar and God's Word be true. The most important thing is not some experience or some revelation or some dream, but the most important thing we're concerned about is what does the Bible say? They became vain in their imaginations. Now, I heard another preacher say one time who was not a charismatic. And you hear, you can hear anything from these charismatics. Say, oh, wow. And now if I was you, I'd cut them off. I wouldn't watch them or listen at them. But I heard one who was not a charismatic say one day, we're going to take America for God. What about that? Now, that's a vain imagination if I've ever heard of it in my born days. Now, who wouldn't love to see America taken for God? But there is no scripture that gives me any hope that America is going to be taken for God. Uh, Egypt wasn't. Jerusalem wasn't. Rome wasn't. England wasn't. And America is going the way of all the nations of the earth. It isn't the purpose of God to convert America. It is the purpose of God to convert the world. Now, that may sound strange to some people, but not to we fundamentalists. Because we know the real purpose of God is to call a bride out for his name's sake. And we call that bride the church, the body of Christ. And I want to say to you, that's being done on schedule like the ticket of a clock. Then there's nothing in the world that can stop that bride from stepping forth and joining together arm in arm, marching to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Nothing can stop that. The purpose of God is being accomplished and realized in the world today as it always has been. But the idea that you're going to convert the world, that's a vain imagination. And that's a retrogression, you see. Then number four, in verse 21, and their foolish hearts, their foolish hearts, now, these are people that knew God. And yet Paul said their foolish hearts was darkened. And the reason hearts become darkened is that men turn away from the source of light. That's the only answer to that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If a man say, I'm in the light and walk in darkness, he lies and knows not the truth. The only way we can have light is to abide in the truth, in the book, in the Word of God. But the moment you leave the source of light, then you walk darkness, your foolish hearts being darkened. And a fundamentalist can go astray if he leaves the Bible. That's retrogression. That's what I'm talking about. Retrogression. And these folks' hearts became darkened. 
because they left the Word of God. And they imagined vain things, their hearts being darkened. They got away from the one true source, the one true motive, the one true purpose of the church. But here's another step in verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise. Now here is arrogance. Here is pride. And seven things God hates. And the seventh thing that's cataloged is a proud look. God despises pride. And here it is. Professing themselves to be wise. Now, wisdom is in the Word of God. The Scriptures are words of wisdom. And as we store the Word of God in our heart, then and then only are we truly wise men. You send a man to college, and he learned to penknife the Bible and deny the Bible. He didn't come back wise in my evaluation. He comes back foolish. Uh, a man that's truly wise will believe the Bible and obey the Bible. And defend the Bible. And hide the Word of God in his heart that he might not sin against the Lord. But those that retrogress, while they're retrogressing, they profess to be wise. Oh yes, we're the great ones. We have great uh, ability and great education and great doors and great this and great the other. I get tired of hearing that word great. I like to hear it in relation to grace and gospel, but not in relation to man. None of us are nothing but red men of the dirt. And what we are, we are by the grace of God. But these that knew God retrogressed to the degree that they professed themselves to be wise. They claimed to be wise. Now, if somebody else calls you wise, then be humble enough and thankful enough and just take that. But if you ever call yourself wise, you admit that you're foolish. No, you're not going to set yourself up. As a wise person, not at all. Uh, you don't uh, beat your own drums. A uh, true Bible-believing fundamentalist is an humble person. He's not professing himself to be wise, not beating his own drums. But the next step in this retrogression, they became fools in that they did foolish things, unreasonable things, in that they had unequal yokes and foolish yokes, in that they had foolish associations, and they had foolish programs and foolish ambitions. They became foolish men when they should have been wise men. All of this is what I call retrogression. And then here's the sixth step in verse 23. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. Now this is the climax. It all started back there when they failed to glorify God as God. And it winds up bowing down before images, worshiping at altars, lighting panels, and worshiping at strange uh, images. And you find that around the world. They changed the core of the incorruptible God into the image made like under men, and they bowed down to those images. I was in St. Peter's in Rome 
and there's a Peter, there's a, a image of Peter on the right as you go into the building, and so many people from around the world had passed that image and kissed the big tall Peter. And I mean, it was metal. It was a metal uh, image, uh, life size. And they kissed the big toe of Peter until they had kissed that toe completely away. It's hard for you to believe that. But it's been there 500 years. And in these 500 years, so many people have kissed that toe until they've worn it down to a nub. Kissing the big toe of an image of Peter. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of corruptible man. That's being done. And that's retrogression of the worst kind. That's the worst illustration that I could make of what it means to get away from God and leave the ancient landmarks. Now when they knew God, they failed in these six ways or seven ways and became reprobates. Now later on, Beginning with verse number 24, we're going to find the three, four results. And I think I'll preach on that next Sunday morning. We're going to find the three, four results of this retrogression. And it could well be that the answer to the dilemma of our day, to the moral dilemma, it could well be that the answer to the homosexual dilemma of our day is this retrogression. Men have gotten away from God. Men have failed to glorify God as God. Men have commenced to worship images, the image of corruptible men. And they've changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into the image of a corruptible man. And they're bowed down to that. And as a result of that, we've got a moral breakdown and a moral uh, chaos in our day probably unparalleled anything this side of Sodom and Gomorrah. Retrogression. Now the whole thrust of our message today is when they knew God, now we know God, let's stay by the ancient landmarks. Let's be the fundamentalists we claim to be at any cost, whatever the cost may be. And sometimes the price means you pay is scoffing and ridicule. Sometimes we're pushed aside and ostracized by relatives and by uh, community and city fathers and by certain institutions. Are we willing to glorify God as God? Whether it's popular about grieve or not doesn't make that much difference to me. I'm convinced in my soul that God is God. As long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to glorify God as God. And I want you to do the same thing. And at Tabernacle, we come here not to sing the doxology, dead as four o'clock in the morning. But we come here to give God praise and glory in our singing, and in our worship, and in our preaching, and in our rejoicing. And let's do that by the grace of God. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, 
Visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust. <laughs>